Good morning, Harrison Bridge. How we doing? Good. Long time no see. If we haven't gotten the chance to meet, um, my name is Brandon Shiley, and I was the student coordinator here before at least took my job like a year ago. Uh, kind of kidding, kind of not. Um, Dallas wishes he could be with you today. He's preaching at our Malden campus, but I'm excited that I get to be with you guys this morning. And something I love about um, our model in our church is that I can come back on any given Sunday and this feel like family and this feel like church and we can all just worship together and that means a lot to me. So I'm really excited to be here with you guys. Um, just to give you a little update on my life over the past month and a half. So about a month ago, I graduated from Anderson University. I'm an alumni now, yeah. I got the applause the first service, and I wasn't expecting it. Now I'm just enjoying it. It's, it feels good. Uh, but yeah, I graduated about a month ago, and now I've moved into a house in Simpsonville, and I feel like I'm taking the steps to become a man. It feels pretty good. I'm by myself. I'm grown up. All those things. Um, however, one thing that has been really tough about the grown-up life has been cooking. It has been nothing short of a catastrophe in my house thus far. Just to give you a little example of what that looked like this past Sunday. Um, this past Sunday, uh, for lunch, me and my roommate Mason, we decided that we are not going to eat another grilled cheese or a bowl, or a bowl of cereal for our ninth out of ten meal again for Sunday lunch. So it's like, time to bump it up, let's do it. So he texts his mom, she sends back a recipe, we're now cooking chicken pot pie on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, nothing, it, it wasn't as crazy as you probably make it, it was a lot of canned stuff. Anyways, and so we get there and we start looking through the ingredients and first problem, don't own a can opener. And so we're like, oh no, that's okay though, friend lives nearby, call a friend, he's on his way, now there's three of us eating this chicken pot pie. Uh, problem number two, I look down um, looking at the recipe, all these measurements, I don't own a measuring cup. And so the 22-year-old who's never cooked is now guesstimating measurements. And so you can imagine how that went. And then lastly, obviously we didn't have all the ingredients we needed, but with the ingredients we did have, with the wrong proportions of those ingredients, we put it into a casserole dish, throw it into the oven, and we actually end up eating this chicken pot pie. That deserves a round of applause right there. I actually cooked a meal, there we go. But it was really good, all in all, a success. I only suffered from minor food poisoning for like two days after, and so we're here, and I'm excited. Um, but yeah, summer really has been great so far. We had beach camp two weeks ago, and that was awesome. I'm sure y'all heard the update, but nine middle schoolers decided to follow Jesus, and that was just a really awesome, really cool week. And now I get the opportunity to be here with you guys um, on a Sunday morning, and so I'm really excited. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, and we're just going to pick up right where we left off from last week's sermon. Last week, just to give you a recap of what we saw God enters into the Exodus story as the main character. Moses and God have this interaction through the burning bush, and what we see about God from this interaction is that, is that he's holy, meaning he's perfect, he's set apart, he's so much bigger than us, he's faithful, and he's eternal. 
And last week we came to the conclusion is that if you encounter this holy, faithful, eternal God, everything changes. Like if you could just get a glimpse of his glory, there really is no going back if you understand that and see who God really is. And so last week we answered that question, who is God? And this morning the question we're going to be answering is, what is God's plan? What is God's plan? We all know what it's like to make a plan. Um, I'm sure guys in this room, most of your plans revolve around that female in your life, um, especially because she probably can't choose the restaurant. Um, no disrespect. But also, what? I'm just kidding. Uh, but maybe you're the, you're the wife and you're like, man, this guy hasn't made a plan for me in forever. Now you're in trouble. Got him. All right? But we all know what it's like to make plans. Um, maybe good ones, maybe bad ones. You plan the date, you plan the wedding, you plan the vacation. Um, and you know what it's like for plans to go well. And you know what it's like for plans to fall through. God makes plans too. But however, we know his character and his plan never fails. And what I want us to see this morning about God's plan is that it pertains to you and it pertains to all of creation. So the first thing we see Point number one is that God's plan is to deliver his people. God's plan is to deliver his people. If we can go back to Genesis chapter 1, God created all things for his glory. Colossians 1.16 puts it this way, all things were created through him and for him. They were created through and by Jesus, but also for his glory. And in the way he created us, he created Adam and Eve in the garden, we lived in perfect harmony with God. We lived in such a way that that mission of bringing glory to himself was actually fulfilled perfectly. And then we see in Genesis chapter 3, though, through Adam and Eve, through their decisions, sin enters into the world. That harmony, that perfection has now been broken. And since then, since Genesis chapter 3, God's plan has been to deliver his people. God's plan has been to bring them back to himself. And so that's where we're at in Exodus chapter 3. The setting for them, they're in slavery. They're in Egypt. The Israelites have been there for 400 years. And God is ready to get and deliver his people. So we're going to start reading in Exodus chapter 3, verse number 7. In Exodus chapter 3, verse number 7, it says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmakers. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So very clearly, we see his plan is deliverance. But what does that mean, to be delivered? Like, not your Amazon Prime package being delivered to your front doorstep, but like, what does it mean for me to be delivered? Maybe you can tell, maybe you can't by my stature, but I'm actually not that good of a swimmer. 
like, I'm 22 years old, so if you push me into a pool, like, I'm not drowning, but, like, I am not that good of a swimmer, and that was even more true for me when I was, like, four or five years old, and so my first time ever out of the house, I think I go visit uh, my aunt and uncle overnight, whatever, and we're swimming in their neighborhood pool over the summer. I'm swimming with my sister. I guess I get carried away. I'm having a great time, and then I look up and realize that I am standing in like five feet of water, and four-year-old Brandon goes in a panic, instant survival mode. So what do I do? I grab my sister and start standing on her shoulders, and so honestly, for me, I'm kind of chilling. Like, there's plenty of oxygen for me up here, but my sister is drowning, and so my aunt has to hop into the pool. She walks across because, again, we're only in five feet of water, and then she brings us out and sets us on the concrete. What she did, she was my deliverer, okay? She was my way of escape. She drew me out of the water. And in that same way, God wants to be the Israelites' deliverer, to be that way of escape for them out of their bondage. And what we see about his plan, first of all, is his plan always reflects his heart. God's plan always reflects God's heart. And these verses... God's compassion can never be questioned. He says, I've seen my people. I've heard their cries. He's heard every single one of them, and he doesn't stop there. He's always moved in action toward deliverance. And what's really cool, in Psalms we see that there is not a wondering of us. There is not a tear that falls from our eye that God doesn't see and God doesn't count. And so for you who walked into this building today, and man, this is the hardest season of your life. I mean, it hasn't gotten worse than this. You're wondering, has God left me? Am I alone? Where is he at? A, it's already assuring to know that there is not a tear that has been cried that has not been counted by a good God. But even more than that, in that, in his seeing, in his hearing, he's always moved in action, and he's moving toward deliverance. And what we, can see to, what we need to note, too, is that's his heart, but we need to see his method. His method of deliverance, he comes down. God always comes down for our deliverance. In verse 8, he says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And again, that is probably the best news you're going to get today. Because in the same way God came down to Egypt to bring them up, to bring them up out of their slavery, he does the same thing for us. He does the same thing for you. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Last week we said he's holy. Because he's holy, we're set apart, and there is a gap that you and I cannot fill to get to God. We began our life in a pit of sin that is too deep to get ourselves out of ourselves. What is so cool about God's plan for deliverance, what we need to do in connecting the dots between Exodus and now, is that what God did on the grand scale then, thousands of years ago, he's doing on the personal level for you. I don't want to spoil the book of Exodus, but I'm going to spoil the book of Exodus. God does deliver his people, all right? And he goes through great measures to do so. He sends the ten plagues. He parts the Red Sea, and he does that to deliver 
his people. However, the greatest measure God could have ever gone to deliver anyone was sending his one and only begotten son for me and for you. He went to that measure so that even in our oppression, even in our slavery, we can be called out. Isn't that so cool? From Exodus to Revelation to right now, the same heart of God then is the heart that is true for us today. And what we need to see is that this is not the backup plan. Like, God did not um, have to come up with a new plan because Adam and Eve, they goofed up in the garden, and now he has to come up with plan B. No, what we see in Acts 2.23, which is going to be on the screen, it says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You see, Jesus on the cross was always the definite plan. Before the beginning of the world, before the foundations of the earth were created, his plan was deliverance. His plan was the death on the cross. Now, it doesn't take away from our responsibility. That verse says, you crucified him. Your sin put him there. But even in that, even knowing that, with his foreknowledge, his plan was always our deliverance. And so we see that, we need to ask ourselves, what does that mean for us today? Like, what's the offer on the table for us right now? I'm just going to read a passage of scripture which I think explains it perfectly. In John 8, starting in verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who have believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. That's the application. That's what's on the table for us today. Is that if you walked in here experiencing the bondage of sin, walking in here struggling with addiction, in a cycle that you have not been able to get yourself out of by yourself, a risen Jesus extends his hand down for your deliverance. And maybe you have, maybe you claim to have experienced that risen Jesus this morning, but you still are willingly choosing bondage. Again, verse 34 says, Whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. My question is, why are you still willingly practicing, willingly putting yourself in bondage of something that Jesus has already paid to get you out of? That's what's on the table. That's what's on the line. Jesus has already sent everything, his best, for your deliverance. He's done it for your freedom. Are we walking in that today? Are we walking in that deliverance? Again, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So that's point number one. God's plan is to deliver his people. But secondly, I want us to see that God's plan is not dependent on us. This plan of deliverance is not 
dependent on me. It's not dependent on you. And again, luck, that, that's good news. That is good news. Let's pick up where we left off in Exodus 3, starting in verse 10. Again, God says, Come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Honestly, this conversation between God and Moses gets me so fired up. You see this, and Moses is asking the question, who am I? Again, who am I, Moses, that I am called to do this? And if you think about the setting, this is a very genuine question, very legit question Moses is asking. He's saying, who am I, God, that you would send me before the most powerful man of, in all the earth up to this point and demand him to let his slaves free? Who am I, Moses? Man, I've been in the wilderness for 40 years hiding because I killed a man, God. Are you sure you're calling me? God, I am not even wealthy enough to own my own flock. What we see here is he's been keeping up with his father-in-law's flock for 40 years. This is the status that Moses is at right now. God, are you sure you're calling me to do this big of a task? And honestly, probably the most similar comparison I have to this is me hyping up my friend to ask out a girl who is way out of his league, like way, way, way out of his league. And he comes up, he's like, me? With her, like absolutely no shot. And then I go on to be like, bro, you don't understand. You're a great guy. You're above average looking. You're, you make most girls laugh. Like, dude, she would be lucky to have you. And what we see in this interaction, though, between Moses and God, is that is not God's approach at all. He doesn't puff up Moses with compliments. He doesn't tell him, man, you're talented. Man, you got this. You're enough. When Moses asked the question, who am I? God's response is, but I will be with you. What he's saying is, me, I'm enough. If you're just willing to go, I will be with you. And what God does is he takes, again, the primary concern off of Moses and puts it back on himself. The question is no longer, who is Moses? Who am I? The question that really matters is, who is God? And so this is only the beginning of this interaction, though. And God and Moses go back and forth. And I imagine this is a back and forth that you and I have a lot of times with God, if we're being honest. Maybe we need to have a little more with God, because every ounce of inadequacy in Moses comes out over the next chapter and a half. So just to give you a few of the questions that Moses asks God. What we talked about last week, he first says, what if they ask about you, God? What do I say? Again, God says, I am who I am. I am the God who was and is and yet to come. Moses says, okay, but what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe what I have to say about who you are? In Exodus chapter 4, verses, or verses 1 through 9, we're not going to read it, but God proves himself to Moses. 
Step one, he says, all right, Moses, you just staff in your hand, throw it on the ground. Moses throws it on the ground, and it turns into a snake. And he goes, all right, I want you to pick it back up by the tail. And Moses actually does that. And like, honestly, we've been hating on Moses for a lot of doubt, but I don't even think Country Bow, South Georgia, Dallas is picking up the snake by the tail unless I've missed some sermon illustrations recently. Like, no one does this. But Moses does it. He picks it up. And it turns back into his staff. He's like, all right, what, what if they don't believe that? God's like, all right, put your hand in your cloak and pull it out. When he pulls it out, it's covered in boils. And then again, puts it back in his cloak. God heals it. And then God says, all right, even if they don't believe that one, I'll let you turn water into blood on the floor. And so we see that, and again, the question of Moses, which is, what if they don't believe me? God's response is, hey, I'm responsible for the convincing. I'm responsible for the changing. And maybe this morning you just needed to hear that. That like in your outreach, in you caring for the people around you like God has already called you to, you're just called to be faithful. God's responsible for softening the hearts. Be encouraged. The response, that responsibility of changing hearts is not on you. So we see that, and then the next question, Moses says, what about my lack of speaking ability? And we're going to read this starting in verse 10 of chapter 4. It says, but Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, am I not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow in speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. What God says is, it, is it not I that made your mouth? Is it not I that knows every ounce of your shortcomings, that knows you really can't do this by yourself? And what is so cool, and a point that stuck out to me a lot this week, is that the same God who creates you is the God who calls you. The God who created you is the same God who calls you. He created you with the inadequacies. He knows where you're not going to live up better than anyone else. And even in all of that knowledge, he's calling you to be a part of his mission. We see why in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. I love this verse. This is how Paul explains it. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that their surpassing power belongs to God and not to ourselves. What does that mean? That there's this treasure in jars of clay. That God, he has put his treasure, he has put his mission, his gospel, his glory, he hasn't put it in the fanciest of containers, but instead in jars of clay. He hasn't put it in the people who have all the ability, who have all the talent, who are very well spoken, but he puts in the people like me and you, the weak, the ordinary, the mundane, and he does that so all glory goes back to himself. In 1 Corinthians 1, 28 through 29, it says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He chooses what's low and foolish in the world to bring about his mission, his plan of deliverance. 
And even thinking about, man, what Moses had to say about his speaking abilities, that he didn't live up, that he's not enough, again, I'm sure that is the, that is the excuse that a lot of us in here use today for not being a part of God's plan. So I'm just not well-spoken. I don't have the words to say. Someone can say it better. And I love, I'm going to read one more verse from 1 Corinthians, and this one has been a game-changer for me. In 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. I think about what Moses had to say, that his words would never be enough, that he's not well-spoken. And now look at what Paul says. And Paul, maybe he was well-spoken, maybe he wasn't. But if he had the ability, it says, I choose not to use it. I choose not to use the fancy words. I choose not to speak with eloquent wisdom because I don't want to take away any of the glory that belongs to God. Paul, he made a decision long ago that he was never going to preach. So people said, man, look at Paul. That's a good speaker. But he preached and taught and lived his life in such a way that he was going to make much of God. If you get anything from today, I hope you see that the good Christians aren't the ones that have it all together. The good Christians aren't the ones who have finally found out how to live their life by themselves as independent and self-sustaining. But instead, the good Christians are quite the opposite. They see their shortcomings and they still say, God, here I am, send me. It's the good Christians who put themselves intentionally in situations where they're desperate for God and he has to show up. The good Christians, even if, in their, even if they are in the best season of their life and things are good, financially everything's great, the job's working out, life is good, they still put themselves in a position in their heart where they say, God, I need you. God, I need you. They never make it. They're always dependent on Jesus and who he is and him showing up day in and day out. And I know from experience, this is a very hard place to get to. I haven't made it there all the way. To get to the point where I can finally say, God, here I am, send me no matter what. But I read this passage and I'm so encouraged because I see so clearly that God is not afraid of Moses' doubt. He's not afraid of Moses' questions. Moses just showered him with questions, and God does not run away and leave Moses where he's at. And I think about Jesus in the same way. The resurrected Jesus on earth comes back to his disciples, and they don't believe it's him. We even see doubting Thomas he comes up to Jesus in front of him. Jesus is face to face with Thomas. And Thomas says, I will still never believe unless I actually get to see and feel the scars in his hand. And Jesus, knowing his heart, he wasn't repulsed. He wasn't frustrated. He didn't send Thomas away. But he just said, come and see. Come and believe. So I don't know where you're at right now. Maybe you are experiencing what God is calling you to and you're scared to step in. You have all the questions. You're asking the wise, God, why would you send me here now at this point in my life? God, how is this supposed to work? God, how are you going to provide for my family? I'm just here to tell you that God is not afraid of your doubts. 
Instead, he wants you to come to him so he can show you and say, believe, trust in me. So we see all these questions. Who am I? What if they don't believe? What if I can't speak? And all his other doubts. And God assures him time and time again. But then it concludes in verse 13. We see Moses' heart. And Moses says, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Please send someone else. And it's at this point that God that the Bible says that God's anger was actually kindled against Moses. Not because of his doubt, but because of his unwillingness. But again, what we've been saying the entire time, God's plan is not dependent on us, so God's plan was not dependent on Moses. He wanted to use Moses. He was calling him to something great. But when Moses asked to send somebody else, God chose somebody else. He chose his brother Aaron to fill in the gap. And Moses missed out on what God was doing, how God was going to use him in that plan of deliverance. And the same thing is true for you and for me, that God's plan is not dependent on us. That daunting task that God is calling you to, if you say no, his plan isn't wavered. If you say no, the mission of deliverance is not going to stop. And for some of y'all, you're like, what do you mean God doesn't need me? That's heartbreaking news. Yes, exactly that. God does not need you. In the grand scheme of things, I'm not important. You aren't important. And it's actually as we grow closer to Jesus that we see more of that. As we learn the primary question, who is God, who is God, we see, man, there really is less of me. There's less of me needed. But still, what is so sweet about his plan of deliverance is that God doesn't need us, yet out of love, he still chooses us. Out of his love, he still calls us, come be a part of what I'm doing. Come be a part of my ministry of reconciliation, of bringing all people back to myself. Come be a part. So a no doesn't stop him, but goodness, we miss out when we say no. We miss out on the joy of being with Jesus, of following him. You may be saying, man, I haven't felt God in a really long time. I don't know where he's at. I can promise you one place God always promises to be. He promises to be with you when you're about his father's business. In Matthew 28, if you look at the Great Commission, he sends his disciples to go make disciples, preach the gospel, and he says, I will be with you. Man, to say no to God, it doesn't slow down the plan, but you miss out on being with Jesus. You miss out on the real joy that comes with living a purposeful life. So as you leave here today, this should not be a message of discouragement. But instead, you should actually leave with a burden lifted off your chest and shoulders. You should leave here with hope and excitement. It shouldn't be, man, I'll never be enough. There's no point. But instead, man, I'll never be enough. But thank you, Jesus, for choosing me. I'm going to give you every breath, all my time, all my affection. It's exciting that you and I get chosen to be a part of this mission of deliverance. It's an honor to be dependent on Jesus in all things. Man, we should, seeing this, that God still chooses us, man, we should want to worship him. But then maybe you came here this morning and you hear about this plan of deliverance, this plan that he has for everyone. 
but his plan is also for you. And maybe you haven't grabbed a hold of that yet. That again, God, through his risen son, came down and paid for your sin, paid a price that you could never pay to deliver you out of your sin, to deliver you out of that bondage and out of that slavery. And if that is you here this morning, I would say don't leave. Don't leave without having that conversation. Don't leave without asking someone, how can I experience this freedom and deliverance from my sin and my bondage? Again, we saw it earlier, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we are just so thankful for who you are. God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this place, in our church, on our campus, across all campuses, but also across the world. That you are in the mission of bringing people back to yourself. God, I pray for the person in this room who hasn't grabbed a hold of that for themselves, that they would just trust in you today, God. Let go and let you pull them out of that ditch of sin and trust you forever, God. And I pray for all of us as we leave here today that even though, man, your plan is not dependent on us, God, we would see it as such a high honor to be called to be a part of it. God, help us to leave here excited, ready to be fully dependent on you with every breath and every conversation and every action of our life. God, work here in this next song. Move here during this worship. May you be lifted high. We love you, and we ask this in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen.